Strong voices. It's not just about one state. It's not just about one community. It's about all of our communities. The issues that face Indigenous peoples around the world sit at the heart of the questions that we're asking about the future of our political order. I am here and now, and I speak my language. I practice my cultural essence of me. What we do need is a more critical race consciousness in this country, a preparedness to talk about race, to talk about the way in which racialized logic are inscribed upon our bodies, and to critically examine them in order to change it. The government's changed, but we're going to be still here. We're always going to be still here. We've been here for 65,000 years, and I don't think we're going to go anywhere. What the system still struggles with is this collaboration with First Nations people. A strong voice is an Aboriginal voice. Hello, good morning and welcome to Strong Voices. We're coming to you live from the Calm Radio Studios here in Bantwala Springs in the Red Centre and uh, broadcasting right across the country through Vast Channel 911. We're, of course, coming to you on 8 FM 100.5 here in Alice Springs, but we're also as well coming to you uh, online via the Calm website at uh, www.karma.com.au. Uh, today is, of course, Monday, the 21st of October 2019. I'm your host for the program, Carl Dowling. Great to have your company and to be back with you on the program. Well, coming up on uh, today's show, a new report shows Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children are 10 times more likely to be removed from their families than non-Indigenous children. We're going to be hearing about the latest Family Matters report, which looks at the overrepresentation of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children in out-of-home care. Also, most Australians will be aware that the climb at Uluru will be permanently closed this coming weekend at the request of the traditional owners. And throughout this week, we're going to be hearing a range of views and opinions on why this is happening. We're, of course, as well going to be hearing the latest in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander news from across the country with the uh, bit of a wrap segment, as per usual, coming up on the program today as well. Before all of that, though, we are going to go to a track and then we'll be right back with our first story. Hey mob, this is Patrick Johnson and you're listening to Strong Voices. Be deadly and stay deadly. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children account for 5% of the total population of children and young people in Australia, but make up a staggering 37.3% of the total out-of-home care population. That's according to the 2019 Family Matters Report, which examines the over-representation of First Nations Nations children in out-of-home care. I recently spoke with uh, Richard Weston, the CEO of SNAKE, the Secretariat of National Aboriginal and Islander Child Care, who further explains the report. The Family Matters report is a report that's been completed for the last few years and the the purpose of the Family Matters campaign is to end the overrepresentation of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children in out-of-home care. And what this year's report is saying is that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children continue to be overrepresented in the uh, child protection system. There are 20,421 children in out-of-home care in Australia, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children, uh, and that represents 37% of all children in out-of-home care. So we're about a third of the uh, all the kids in, in care around Australia, and our children are only 5.5% of the child population in Australia. So that's that's quite alarming, and that figure is increasing, and it's expected to double within the next 10 years if we don't 
start to arrest that and, and slow that rate down. And, you know, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander kids are 10 times more likely to be in care than non-Indigenous kids. So it's, it's very worrying. De- definitely very worrying and, and concerning statistics there. Obviously, the, re- the over-representation of, of First Nations peoples in out-of-home care uh, is, of course, a complex issue. But what, what are yeah. some of those contributing factors that we've seen to these rates over the years? It is complex. I mean, some of the contributing factors, I think, firstly, the system itself is you know, very geared toward what we say is the tertiary end of the system, which is where you know, there's a report, there's a substantiation, and then there's removal. Look, and the child protection system designed is supposed to keep children safe, as safe from harm. The kids are being mostly Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander kids are mostly removed because of, of neglect, which is a kind of a very subjective term. But what it means is the kids are being taken from families that have become vulnerable, and, and there's not enough family support, not enough support given to parents and and families to help the children stay in the family. All families go through difficult times and, you know, parents struggle sometimes with issues around drug and alcohol abuse or, you know, might be mental illness or might be other some, some other kind of so, social issue which makes it a little bit of a difficult environment for children. But, you know, with, with some proper support, the children could still stay in the home because that's where kids do best. And, you know, the worrying thing about taking Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander kids out of their family home is then they, they become disconnected from culture, they become disconnected from their their mob and, you know, can lead to, to issues around connection with their identity. So that's a contributing factor. The system itself, it's, it's geared more towards removal rather than, you know, supporting families that become vulnerable. But then there's historical causes and links that are, you know, go back to the, the stolen generations where the children were removed for a very long period over the 20th century. And that's caused a lot of vulnerability in our communities. So families are, are less able to deal with the challenges when they arise and when they occur. So it affects, it's affected the resilience of families in our communities. And that's come about through intergenerational trauma that's gone down from one generation to the next. And then layered on top of that is are issues like poverty, issues like racism and discrimination. So we get this cocktail of factors, you know, some historical factors, but then there's a system itself, which isn't helping our people who have become vulnerable through the history of this country. So that means our children are going into out-of-home care at at ever-increasing rates. Do you think we're sort of getting a a better understanding of Aboriginal communities and and that obviously particularly when we're talking about remote communities that child rearing process is often quite different to what I guess you would consider the Norman Western approach to that. Yeah I think that's one of the one of the the other issues is the system unless we have Aboriginal or Indigenous people involved in the system particularly in places like the NT you know it, it is the mainstream does find it difficult to understand our communities and that's why the Family Matters report is really calling for a greater investment in community-led or and Aboriginal community-controlled organisations to take the lead on, on some of these child protection services and, and design of solutions. I mean, in the NT, it's very difficult. There's only really one Aboriginal, one organisation that has that is doing anything in that space or that, that actually exists. So there's a need for a real building of capability and capacity to create a, a, a more Aboriginal community-controlled organisations that are more responsive to the communities because, you know, our own organisations and, and, you know, governed by our, our own community leadership, they understand the situations better 
They understand the cultural dynamics. They understand you know, what's going on in the community around things like law time, which mainstream organisations just don't don't necessarily get. And the, the way our communities function and our our families function just don't fit that uh, you know Western model. So we do need some you know an Aboriginal lens put on these on the services and programs designed to keep our children safe. You know, so that kids aren't removed for things that they shouldn't be removed for. Certainly if children are in danger and their safety, you know, their physical safety is at risk, and they, we recognise they have to be removed. But then further steps can be taken to, to, to so they remain either with family or kin or at least within, the commu- within a community that's connected to their family so that they maintain their cultural links their identity links and their relationships. I mean, our relationships are much broader and uh, deeper than than what we find in mainstream communities. So those things need to be taken into account. And the best way to take them into account is have Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people delivering the services. Do you think often funding is directed uh, more towards things like child protection services as, as opposed to support services in the first place? For sure, that's the problem with the systems. That's one of the, the contributors to why we see our kids going into care. The needs of our children living in difficult family circumstances or difficult community circumstances, the answer is not necessarily removal. Part of the answer may really be in about supporting families to get through difficult times or supporting family members and parents to, to deal with the issues that they might be facing. But this system is quick to remove children and at the launch of the report where we had one young lady who was speaking at the event who'd been in the, in the out-of-home care system for 15 years or so. And her quote was, um, you know, there's always resources available to remove children, but why can't we find resources to support families when they're having difficulties and, and put the children at risk of removal? So, you know, what you're saying there, I think, is, is really one of the main issues. We just don't have enough investment in the preventative and early intervention and supportive end of the system to help our kids stay in their families and help the families get stronger. And I understand the report is sort of putting forward four particular points that it's calling for. Can, can you elaborate a bit on those? There's four main kind of calls for action. And, you know, one is around having a national dedicated Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children's strategy, which I think makes good sense. You know, we've got a very complex problem. You know, we've got jurisdictions run the child protection system, but they all have different approaches. So we need something that unifies effort and having a Commonwealth lead out the design, the co-design of a strategy with the states and with the Aboriginal communities in those jurisdictions is really important, we think, to bring things together and, and bring more of a focus towards those support services and, and, and preventative approaches and to help keep governments committed and accountable to that we're also recommending the establishment of a national children's commissioner position dedicated to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children you know that would work with state-based and territory-based dedicated Indigenous commissioners as well. And then we're also calling for the investment in the development of the, of the Aboriginal or controlled child protection system. So developing and supporting the establishment and uh, capacity building, capability building of Aboriginal organisations and certainly you know responding to the aspirations of Aboriginal communities. And the fourth one was about permanent care, some, some troubling legislation sort of coming up in across the country now in places like New South Wales 
where their same children, you know, will be placed in permanent care if they're not reunited with their families within two years of being removed. And that's that causes a lot of concern because Aboriginal kids are so overrepresented in the system. And it just seems to mean that, well, you know, kids are more likely to, to be removed from their family, for, from their culture and their identity, which are really important for the well-being of our children. If we don't address these issues that, that we're facing here at the moment, what, what sort of future could we see? The report says that the numbers we've got today are going to double within the next 10 years if we don't do anything. For our people, our families and communities, I think it means wider spread of social devastation in our communities. Kids are being removed from families and out of communities at growing rates. It's just going to disrupt communities, causes lots of distress, lots of trauma. You know, we're already dealing with trauma, so it's, it, it's carrying on that legacy of the stolen generation, even the generational trauma. But we'll see more and more of our kids going from out-of-home care then into the juvenile justice system and then into the incarceration system because, you know, children that experience high levels of distress when they're young, it affects them for their whole lives and it makes it difficult for them. Things like get an education, you know, hold down a job, it affects the way they have relationships with people, how they see themselves in the world, that disconnect from culture, community and identity. A really strong predictors that kids are going to struggle for a long time, you know, and probably most of their lives. So, you know, we're going to see in our communities, we see social devastation, but, you know, for the Australian community more broadly, there's, there's this massive cost of this system to taxpayers, you know, tax dollars going into maintain systems that really we're not getting any benefit from. That was uh, Richard Weston, CEO of SNAKE, the Secretariat of National Aboriginal and Island Childcare. We're going to be uh, going to a couple of tracks now and then we'll be right back. On top of our own strong face, Nana, music, a pet, and Gwen Mapa, and Gwen Commuting, or your station, come radio and 8K FM. Yes, welcome back to Strong Voices. Great to have your company this Monday morning. Well, most Australians know uh, that the Ungu traditional owners flagged the closure of the climb at Uluru a number of years ago, and this weekend it will become a reality. There are many thoughts and views on the closure, and today we're going to hear a range of those, including from uh, Northern Territory Labor Senator Malandir McCarthy, uh, Steve Baldwin from Parks Australia, John King, a board member and tourism representative, as well as visitors from across Australia who are going to be sharing their thoughts as well on the closure of the climb. Well, we're standing here at Uluru and we're seeing perhaps uh, the last days of people climbing the rock. And we know that uh, for many years, decades even, that the Anangu have always asked people to respect uh, the place and to perhaps not climb it. And in October, on the 26th of October, the climb will be closed. And I commend the Anangu and I commend the Parks Board of Management for the work they've done in preparation for the closure of the climb, but also tourism at Tourism Central Australia, Tourism Top End and tourism organisations across the country and overseas in preparation for this remarkable day. I feel enormously proud for the First Nations people of this country. I feel enormous gratitude uh, about the resilience and determination of the Anangu to protect and maintain uh, the spiritual essence of what Uluru is about, not only to them, but to share it so lovingly uh, to all people. And 
I say to them, thank you. Thank you for what you do and how you look after this place. But also thank you for teaching us, all of us, about the importance of spirituality and the connection to country. The message that our country is sending to the rest of the world is that our country values First Nations culture. Our country values the Anangu and the spirituality of Uluru. Our country values the importance of maintaining culture and the importance of maintaining the songs and stories uh, that reflect not only the Anangu but First Nations people of Australia. We are the oldest living culture in the world and the message that our country is sending to the world is that we are making sure that that strength in culture stays strong. I get that there is a sense that uh, everyone feels that they are a part of Uluru and, and that's a beautiful thing but the reality is is that's the Anangu who are the custodians who look after it and what they say is what we're doing and preparing for the closure of the climb respecting uh, those wishes and I say to people across Australia and around the world come and celebrate the strength of First Nations people come and celebrate the strength of the Anangu. There's a number of reasons why the uh, the climb um, up Uluru has been closed and uh, those include uh, environmental reasons uh, cultural reasons uh, safety reasons reasons uh, and uh, yeah, that, that's uh, those are the key the key reasons uh, but more importantly uh, those reasons aside this is a decision that the board has made many many years ago and is enshrined in our management plan so there were certain triggers in that plan when those triggers were met or when those conditions were met the the climb will be closed and they have been the board was satisfied they have been therefore the decision has been made to close the climb the management plan or 2010 to 2020 for the national park had a climb closure strategy as part of that and within that strategy were three reasons or uh, or triggers conditions that needed to be met before the climb was closed and they were that the percentage of people climbing as the percentage of overall visitors needed to drop to 20 percent or below that the prime reason for visitors coming to Uluru was about the cultural and natural values and not the climb and that thirdly there needed to be adequate in the minds of or the um in the opinion of the board adequate other activities or other things for people to do other than doing the climb and well the other thing was that the board needed to be unanimous in their decision and the board was comfortable in uh, 2017 that those three key conditions were met and they then made the decision to close the climb on the 34th anniversary of handback to the traditional owners which is October 26th from October 26th 2019. My personal opinion, we've given the reasons of safety, of environment, of, of culture. I have observed with my own eyes that uh, Ananu become very sad. They're, they're upset whenever anybody gets injured or, or dies on the climb, and I've witnessed this firsthand having managed a number of the, the rock rescue incidents and I managed the last fatality. So I've observed, I saw my trainee, um, how distraught she was when the uh, Japanese gentleman passed away last year. So for my part, that's one of the key reasons. Um, the other, for me... Personally, having worked here for quite a few years now, is that I see this as a triumph for joint management. I see this as the fact that Ananu can make this decision, which is a significant decision, probably one of the most significant decisions since the land was handed back to them, that they have this power, they, they have the autonomy to make such a momentous decision. So to me, and that's, I believe, is, is missed a lot when people talk about the reasons for closure. To me, it, it shows that joint management is alive, that Ananu can make that decision without being beholden to uh, to government, which many people had said, well, the climb will never close because uh, tourism 
the powers that be, tourism and the government will never let you close it. So to me, I see it as a triumph of joint management that they can actually close the climb. From the moment that people started climbing, uh, there were those that uh, met, I suppose, a, a sticky end, so to speak. Uh, people have fallen, people have had physical, have had heart attacks, and many have succumbed after leaving the climb. We say that there are at least 35, and those are ones that we're aware of, um, but there may be more before numbers or before statistics were kept. Since I have been here uh, in the last five years, there has only been one, which was the Japanese gentleman last year, but uh, it is incredibly dangerous. And for every fatality, there are a myriad more of of injuries. And uh, again, I've seen them quite regularly. In the last few weeks, we've had probably four or five. Uh, Even a month ago, we had a a gentleman from Canberra, 64, I believe, had a heart attack and uh, came very close to uh, to passing away. And it involved uh, six off-duty emergency service workers, up to 11 rangers, and we had to spend hours getting this fellow down. So um, from a staffing point of view, Obviously, this is all about Ananu and, and the wishes of the traditional owners, but from a staffing point of view, when the climb is closed, myself and my staff won't have to risk our lives, get called out at all hours of the day and night and on weekends away from our families to go and rescue people that uh, perhaps should not have tried to ascend the climb or didn't have the fitness to do so. So personally, and again, this is all about what traditional owners want, but on behalf of myself and my staff, we'll be very glad because we can then spend more time talking to visitors we won't have to monitor the climb to see whether it's safe to open and we won't have to spend our time rescuing people that have gone up when they're unfit so we'll have more time to tell people about culture and about Ananu and spend with Ananu rather than worrying about those on the climb so that's uh, my personal opinion though. Well, I, I guess particularly over the last uh, 10 or so years, there's been a much uh, greater level of cooperation between uh, the tourism industry and the traditional owners. And I think that was uh, really borne out um, when it became very apparent uh, that the uh, the uh, traditional owners were really wanting to move forward with the, uh, uh, the indicated uh, intention of, of finally closing the climb. Uh, and uh, I called all of the tourism industry that were directly involved in uh, the, in activities here in the national park, but also uh, the main tourism industry organisations, uh, the inbound tourism sector, uh, the travel agent sector, etc. And uh, in calling them and uh, alerting them to the fact that uh, this uh, possible decision was imminent, I got 100% support for the the decision. And in reporting that back to the board, um, uh, I was able to report uh, that there was total support. And I think that really uh, emboldened the uh, the traditional owners to move forward with the decision. And also, as a sense of the cooperation, they decided to give uh, 18 months' notice to allow the tourism industry to adjust their programs and to remove the climb as a part of uh, any tour program that still existed. Looked straight up and went, just laughed, just really laughed because we thought, are we really going to do that? (laughs) It's just very steep looking. Are you? (laughs) Yeah, uh, yes. I'm determined, have been wanting to do it for a very, very long time. And as I said to my husband earlier, I'm probably the one that's going to be helicoptered out because (laughs) I'm so determined nothing's going to stop me. So if the knees or the back or anything gives out, I'll still keep going. So... 
the comment first was, are we going to walk it? And then I said, no, actually, we're going to crawl it. <laughs> so don't be surprised. <laughs> you wait till you come down. Most people do it on their backside. Yeah, I have heard that, that they straddle the chain. So I think, yeah, it's going to be a slow, tedious, but the adrenaline's going. Is this the main reason why you came here? What's the main reason you came to Uluru? I, I think, yes, it's always been a thing to come and see and do. And you just put it off and put it off. It's, I suppose, all those bucket list jobs that you think, until somebody puts a deadline on it, you go, oh, we've got to go and do it. So 12 months ago, we said, this is it, we're, we're doing it. So, yeah. You know that people won't be doing this. What's your thoughts about that? Look, it's, it's very controversial. There's, it's going to be divided no matter what. Yeah, so my, my feelings are, I suppose, they've... It's been, we've been climbing it for a long time. It is part of Australia's history. I can't comment on the culture side because I'm not brought up in that area. So, yeah, it's just a beautiful piece of Australia that it's here for all to enjoy. And how are your calf muscles feeling now? Uh, ask me that when I come down. I've done a few stretches this morning and that was sore just doing stretches. So <laughs> we'll see. Thank you very much. Thank um, you. Brian from Adelaide. What's the main reason you came to Uluru, came, came here? Oh, well, we, we're doing a trip around Australia and, and we're on our 16 week of caravanning and uh, we went across the Nullarbor and up through WA, up through the Kimberleys into Darwin and this is the last leg of our trip so this is the, the bucket list for me if you like. So, Is, is, uh, is climbing the rock on the bucket list? Absolutely, yeah. Mm. It, it hasn't really been but now that we're doing this trip and uh, we're here and it's just, yeah, I just, I just want to do it. It's something I want to do. Uh, yeah, I guess 18 months ago I wouldn't have been able to do this. I had a stroke, so uh, sort of, this has sort of inspired me to get up there and do it. So, You know that uh, Yulara, just down the road, is the, uh, one of the stroke capitals of, um, of Australia, that uh, the number of people that come down after a climb and uh, find themselves in the emergency ward back at no, but I've had my one, so I'm OK. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've been through Cyclone Tracy, and I reckon I can get through this. So, yeah. I, haven't, I haven't been here since uh, I was up here 45 years ago. Not at the Rock, but I was in Darwin 45 years ago. Never been back and went back there to retrace a few steps. And, and uh, obviously this is on our way home. So, yeah, it's fantastic. You know what's changing here in the next couple of months in terms of the... What, what's your thoughts about um, the climb and what's happening over the next couple of months? Uh, well, you know, I, I guess... It was destined to happen. You know, there's a lot of places in the world that you can't do these climbs, isn't there? Um, that they're sacred and whatever. And yeah, I guess we've all got different schools of thoughts of what should be and what shouldn't be. But you know, um, you know, I don't think I don't think it will stop people coming here. Put it that way. I think people will still come here and walk around the rock. And I mean, it's just uh, an amazing thing, isn't it? To... Uh, just last, last question. That's great. That's great in the first place? Um, we've actually got a German exchange student with us and so we thought, well, he wanted to do something special and I've never been and the kids have never been um, so we thought we should come out and see this iconic landmark, really. Just so that we know, what, can I just grab just first names of both, both of you and where you're from? Yep, Caroline. And Gavin. And we're from south of Sydney, Wollongong. Wollongong, yeah. So have you been to Wollongong before? I've been once, uh, back 20 years ago. 
And uh, yeah, I just want to show you my family. They haven't been here before, so. Never been. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. Okay. Um, what do you know about what's happening over the next couple of months here? Well, I know they're closing the climb. Um, and so we heard there were lots of people coming to madly climb it before it was closing. Um, but our intention was never to climb it anyway. We wanted to do the base walk. Yeah. Get to see you get to see the Uluru by looking at it, not by standing on it. So, so why? What's making you? Why aren't you climbing it? Tell, tell, tell us a bit about why you're not climbing. Or how do you feel about the climb? A couple of reasons, really, because. Um, yeah, as as Gavin said, we we felt that to really enjoy it, you've got to stand and experience the grandeur of it. Um, also, if we're being asked not to um, climb it out of respect for our Indigenous neighbours, then we wanted to respect that. And especially having a student from overseas, we didn't think it was a very good um, model to invite him over, but then to teach him that we disrespect our Indigenous friends. So, yeah. <coughs> But also there are the other aspects of... I hear that there are more stories as you walk around mm. the rock. Uh, there's an accomplish of standing on the rock, yes. Um, but to respect the people, but also to, to hear the stories and see the stories as you walk around is so much better, I think. Mm. That's a great answer. I, um, I don't know whether you've heard about how hard it is to... Have you heard, heard any stories about what it's actually like, <laughs> Yeah, it, it, you know, as a 21-year-old, I did 20 years ago, it was extremely strenuous and, it, it, you know, yeah, took, us out, took it out of me as I walked up the rock. It looks, it looks horrible, actually, <laughs> and, yeah, a bit dangerous, so I didn't really want to yeah. take the kids up there anyway. Um, yeah. Where comes Deutschland? Yes, that was some people there sharing their thoughts on the uh, closure of the climate at Uluru. Uh, we're going to go to a break now and then we'll be right back. Hey, this is Kathy Freeman. You're listening to Strong Voices on Karma Radio. Yes, that's right. You're listening to Strong Voices here on Calm Radio. Well, earlier in the program, we heard a range of opinions and views on the closing of the climb at Uluru. Anangu traditional owners will now share their views in language. We're going to be hearing from uh, Sammy Wilson, a board member and former board chair of the Uluru uh, Katajuta National Park. We're going to be also hearing from Donald Fraser, former chair uh, at the Uluru Katajuta National Park Board, as well as hearing from uh, Teresa Nipper as well. Well, yeah, the, the things what we've been doing in the board meeting, the board and the old board, they've been talking about for many years, but some not with us. But what they're thinking about that the place, we're not going to be shutting down everything, but the climb. Only one thing to climb and people are welcome to come. The climb, with no more climbing. How we will, we will about the Chukurpa. It will, I believe. You know, people will not the Chukurpa, but generation to generation. But something happened in the middle, now we got to get it back and keep the Chukurpa with strong. Oh, how I feel, some people are talking about it, but how we feel we want to make more business for us when 
and people can come and see us and learn from us. From long time ago. And one and Yango Manda is the world heritage place. I like it, yeah, I like that. Huh? Sorry. Oh, Yango one holiday, Yango Jolo, Yango Abbey, for Pugol Vanjago. Jutangalabia, <laughs> Oh, children, you don't work on it. You come back happy, huh? Huh? Thank you. Well, yeah, you go back. You know, we're the young in Mandaura. We are not just in there. We're not gonna move this rock. I'm not gonna move in there. No, no. Well, you don't have to be there. We just go lending them. From long time ago. And one and is a world heritage place. I like it, yeah, like that. Some Kabalango, 
monobalo jana pokol buya ngai monobala ngankula manyi nei rawa monobala wanga bai ngana mongora nyarada ngana mongora ka ka balbala ngoro labian bijuda nyango rawanga ngo ka balala ngonyar balala manjino tarin dena balonya parin digitango ka kuari nyanga tarin de balonya parini Palo palo jana nindi chilbi juda kuchukuji bora wiyaringo ka chilbi manko drojano owan kara kuru iyala ka balango la iyanu ka walbalo juda ngonyango ngone oda no wapala ngane ndandi demokoringo njewiya iri dimola ba nyabolo nyawangango chilbi juda ngo ka balango na kolino mola balango wangangi english nindi jutanga iridi kabalo janal melono ka kuari wangango kolino apunyanga jadarinda padirinkunanga kabalo balango jana wangara pukularingo pulga munia balango pukulara panya kujibura ngwan bolani wiro palananga panya balo jana Pulga pukulara kolini ala nganamba apu banyamba kwari wororingani mono pakoi yaringani na minga jodongo tadira bakonde bakonde Oh holonya ngangi holonya le deridingoro moranya balu kala ini nyara balu mbonindi jiji jodanyi nengi palongola pulgaringolala kolini ini kunyu kujibaringo walbala jodango jonno Hijraganya, kalangan anak kuli ni wira tu, ulurunya balaja, mora ulurunya. Muno anak anak mukuring kujawi yang lain, but ngolang-ngolang anak anak tadra wangengil dah, ulurunya dah. I mean, anak anak sorry, hijraganya dah. Balo anak anak karang anak anak apa ulurunya kejalan. ngan <laughs> We will do our best. 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 We will do Kajanga, undal bangga, pala jenal. Angan na pala ni, pala baja namba, unungan namba. Nganan nindi jango, cici coda, ngola nindi bukan jenal jago, unungora wal jangan kajen tak. Kakuji baju dangan kajen, nganan bangora pala ja, uia. Ngora ija coda ku ngora, ngora nganan ba, kah. 
So we respect Nuranyangaja. That's why climb Patino, climb Patino, Kauturus Ravijala, enjoy the rock and walk around, not sit on it. Climb, step, step on it. You're hurting the rock. It's so special to us. in the world so we respect that's why climb patino climb patino enjoy the rock and walk around not sit on it climb step step on it you're hurting the rock it's so special to us that was uh, some of the views from Anangu traditional owners there about the close of the climate Uluru. That's going to conclude Strong Voices for this Monday morning. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks to all our special guests who join us on the program as well. We'll be back at uh, the same time tomorrow from uh, 11 till 12. Strong Voices.